Thank you for listening to the George Reister podcast presented by The Unafraid Show. Please make sure that you leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you would like to get in touch, send an email, comment, question, anything like that, send it to gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thanks for listening and please share. We got a great guest up for you guys today. We have Pat Condellis. He is the director of The Scheme on HBO. It is the documentary following the FBI college basketball scandal that was supposed to shut everything down, that was supposed to just change the landscape of college basketball and blow the lid off of all the quote-unquote corruption that was going on behind the scenes. But now everything's been swept under the rug. But he did a great job telling the story of Christian Dawkins and also giving you a lot of insight and backstory on how this whole case even evolved. So uh, first, Pat, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for taking time. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yep. Uh, is the safe, is the family safe, healthy, whole, everything during this Corona scare? We're, we're all going a little insane, but, you know, health and safety wise, we're all good. So no complaints. Yeah, so I got a chance to watch the entire the the uh, scheme, and a- as a person who is connected to the Pac-12, connected to the media, I've heard all sorts of things, and it looked very damning from the beginning. Once you heard the uh, the Ari- the Arizona coach, Coach Coach Miller, and you heard the LSU mm-hmm. coach on tape, and you thought I thought that this was going to be a huge, huge thing. And it turned out to be just a few minor level people that ended up going to jail. What was your takeaway overall from the whole process of doing this film? Well, it was a, it was such an unbelievable story. And to your point, like you said in the intro, you know, I this I heard about this like everybody else did when the press conference was announced by the Southern District in New York saying, look, this was a three-year undercover FBI investigation. Uh, there was wiretaps. They they arrested a, a, an executive for Adidas. So you got billion-dollar global, you know, uh, shoe companies involved in this. So I remember, you know, talking with my editor, actually, about, about that story right when it broke, thinking, okay, this is going to change the landscape of college athletics. I mean, they're going to take down – big name coaches, you know, Patino's name was thrown out there right, right from the get go. And then just nothing happened. Yep. And so the story just kind of went away. Um, And I was not really familiar with Christian um, until HBO, uh, uh, you know, kind of brought this to me and said, Hey, would you be interested in doing something like this? And then I read, I think about every article that had been written about Christian, um, and him and I got on the phone and then I, I flew out to where he was and spent three days with him just talking. And I found him to be such a fascinating, dynamic, complex, intelligent, uh, um, hilarious individual. Uh, and there was clearly so much more to the story um, that I was like, you know, I really, really have to tell the story. And, you know, it was a roller coaster ride making this because we, we started making it in between the first and second federal trial. So all of this stuff was, was unfolding while we were shooting. Um, and, and the story kept evolving as new information came out, new evidence came to light. Uh, and from my perspective, this was just a much, much bigger 
story than just a sports story and just a Christian Dawkins story. Yeah, so Christ, Christians specifically who does a lot of the narration, how credible, how yeah. b- believable was was he and how forthcoming did you feel like he was in the production process? He was, I found him to be very credible. And the reason I say that is, you know, we, there's, we have the FBI wiretaps. Yep. So we could corroborate almost everything that he said uh, in the interview uh, because we could listen to him in real time, not knowing that he's being recorded. So you can hear, and that's the interesting thing about this is, is rarely do you get a chance to tell a story and put the audience in the room on the phone pull back the curtain, right? This is kind of a fly yeah. on the wall experience for the audience where you get to hear the, the, the kind of unvarnished, the raw truth of what's happening here, because none of these people know they're being recorded, whether it's the, the wiretap calls or the undercover FBI video where you watch some, some things happen. They don't know if they're being recorded. So you get to hear the thought process and you get to hear what he's saying. So when Christian answers a question in the interview to, with me, the vast majority of that, 90 to 95% of it, I would say, we could corroborate with, with uh, evidence that was, that was gathered for this whole investigation. So I found Christian to be incredibly credible, uh, um, but he did stop short on a few different topics. He, didn't, he, didn't, uh, he was not the most forthcoming on a couple of things. And the, the biggest those, disagreement him and I... What are those yeah, topics? Yeah, I, I think the biggest, yeah, the biggest disagreement him and I had was regarding Rick Pitino. Uh, because I just cannot believe that Rick Pitino did not know what was going on. You yeah. Know, I just, I, re- I refuse to believe that. Well, so, um, so my question about that is, is that, do you think that that fell in line with the fact that he would not rat out any coaches? I mean, he was yeah, pretty that adamant was- that he wasn't, that he was going to stand up and not try to tear down everybody in their career. Yeah, exactly. That was the thing. Yeah, he didn't want to be a rat. Um, and and I think he avoided that as much as possible. And I think I think his position, he, he became more and more eager, I think, to have his perspective included and to be more, uh, I think, uh, um, I, I think less guarded about everything as the situation evolved and, and the fluidity of the trial. And yeah, I think by the end of it, when he's the guy that goes down and gets an 18 month prison sentence, you know, longer than anybody else, I think all of that kind of changed his perspective a little bit. And he was more, more willing to be a little bit more open with some of that stuff where he wasn't before just, just as a, as a point to say, listen, like I'm the fall guy here, but this is not an accurate depiction of what was going on. Oh, that's Um, exactly. No, go on. No, I was going to say, but Christian was defiant in saying that Patino didn't know anything and that he did not believe that Patino had direct knowledge. And I will say, I mean, we couldn't find any evidence that said that Patino did have direct knowledge. Um, the feds didn't have it, obviously. Uh, um, and he was never even, I think, gotten close to, to uh, being charged unless Christian would have decided to, to give them information. And I think Christian has that information. I think he just wasn't willing to share it. But but why? Like there was no advantage for him sharing it aside from you, you know, yes, he could have got off some some more time, but he 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 seems like a guy who about helping players and doing and and 
really taking advantage of a capitalistic system that seems broken mm -hmm. when it comes to college athletics. But the question for you is, Pat, who is the bad guy here? Like, like who is the bad guy in this situation? <laughs> because it doesn't seem like it's Christian Dawkins. I agree with you. And I think that's a great question. I think that's a question that we wanted. We wanted the audience to ask themselves that when they watched the documentary. Uh, the other question we wanted them to ask is, is who's the victim here? Right. For a crime to be committed by definition, there's got to be a victim. Yes. Uh, and, and so when the, the Southern District proposed that it was these universities were victimized by this, it was a it was such a laughable, absurd uh, um, proposition for people to, to, to accept. Um, and, and it was really interesting to sit there and I went to the, the sentencing of the first federal trial. Um, and then every day for the second trial, I was there. And it was this weird, like, uh, uh, unspoken arrangement between everybody that walked from the hallway into the courtroom that it was like, okay, everybody's going to pretend like reality is, is, doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to act like we're all uh, living in an alternate universe within this courtroom here, you know, cause it was unbelievable the narrative that was being pitched to a jury and judges and, and the fact that people weren't kind of laughing out loud in the courtroom was shocking to me yeah it's a victimless crime so if 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 christian dawkins actually paid the players okay who mm -hmm. is who is harmed in that and, and then if the and then the colleges they get the players and they go to win games who is the I, I can't still figure out as a former college athlete, former professional athlete, as a as a thinker, a person who reads books, I cannot figure out who is harmed by this. Right. And and what the so what the, the narrative that the Southern District of New York uh, uh, came up with was that the universities were the victims. They were harmed by this because these athletes uh, uh, were no longer eligible for amateur status if they had been given money or, or any sort of inducements, right? So by the time they went in there, then they considered that fraud. So they're defrauding the university, you're defrauding them out of the value of the scholarship, right? It, it's an unbelievably You could just insane... give it to somebody else. I mean, it... You could give it to somebody else, but then that leads to a million different questions, right? So that if, uh, I think what, you know, what Dan Wetzel says, his example in the doc is, is I think perfect where you know, so the, the, the top quarterback, right, of the team, he goes into the pizza shop and he gets a free slice of pizza. You've just made him ineligible under NCAA rules, right? So have you then just defrauded a massive university? And under the Southern District's uh, definition, you committed multiple fel uh, federal felonies. Yeah. And that's what that this precedent is saying. Well, that's where I hate the way the NCAA is set up, which you kind of blew the lid off with this, with, with the scheme is that is that Dan Wetzel actually uh, reiterated it too, which he said, if Google or Amazon came into a high school and said, we're gonna pay interns 20K to come out, teach them in hopes that they'll come to come work for them later, that there would be nothing illegal with that. They would actually applaud that. But then when it comes to college basketball, and this is where the race factor comes in, because Christian brought it up too. Yeah if these weren't mainly young urban black kids, would this even be an issue? Right. Right. Yeah. His point is, I think he makes a very strong point in that. Look, if, if the whole system with the NCAA in general and, and using 
basketball as an example, if all the players were white and all the head coaches that are making millions of dollars a year and the ADs and, and you know, everybody running the, the schools and the institutions were all black, his point was there's no way that this would be happening. Yeah, it wouldn't. It, it wouldn't be yeah, happening. Yeah. Nobody would tolerate that. Billions of dollars are being made every year, and none of that money is going to the players. From it's from, a very, very from, interesting, compelling from, point. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's, it's a point that people don't really necessarily want to recognize because it might cause them to uh, to uh, to be honest about some uncomfortable truths. But a guy that was yeah. talked about a lot in the in your in the uh, scheme, which is actually released uh, Tuesday at six p.m. Pacific, nine p.m. Eastern time on on HBO, was Marty Blazer, and I actually yeah. met I met Marty Blazer because did you really? Yes, b- because he so I played I came out and was drafted with a guy named Rasheen Mathis, and okay. And Marty Blazer was Rasheem Mathis's uh, financial advisor, and okay. Marty lived in Atlanta, I believe. And um, okay, and so uh, Rasheem used to always say, "Yeah, dude, Marty's doing all these great things, great things, blah blah blah." And then I met him a couple times. So I thought about moving my money over there, where in the doc it didn't really well when it didn't necessarily show that Marty was really big in the football world. Like he had a lot yeah, of NFL exactly. clients. And yeah, so yeah. those were the people that he mainly defrauded. And he, and just the fact that he stole all these millions. And then like, this is how this whole investigation started was Marty trying to get out of jail. And ultimately yeah. he got out of jail for sending Christian Dawkins and some low level people to jail. Like it just didn't make sense to me. Concocting a ridiculous scenario that really these guys, you know, discuss on wiretaps time and time again, again, not knowing that they're being recorded, that they don't want to do. Yep. But the whole business model that, that was kind of created by the FBI that was initiated by Marty Blazer was ridiculous. And it makes sense because, you know, I listened to Marty Blazer testify. I think he testified for five days in the second trial and sitting there, he, it was very, very clear. He knew nothing about how the basketball world worked. Yeah. Clear. So, so did it felt the the wiretaps listening to the wire wiretaps i thought you did a great job displaying like what people knew and how many times christian dawkins tried to tell them i don't want to do this this is not the way it works and it almost felt like entrapment because they tried to get something that he wasn't even willing to do yeah exactly exactly and it was you know that, that was a big question i had early on looking at everything and Christian's lawyer, I think came up with the best explanation of it was that it's, it's, you can't call it entrapment because the point is they would say that this is something that you would have to prove that this was behavior that he had not otherwise been likely to, to participate in. Right. And because Christian had paid people before they couldn't necessarily make that argument, but I mean, it's, I, I, I would assume that any, any objective person watching it would say, this is as close to coming to entrapment as you could possibly get. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Um, I, I want to talk real quick about the two college coaches that were, well, well, three, we already covered Rick Patino, who ended, who ultimately ended yeah. up getting fired, but uh, Sean, Sean Miller at Arizona and Will Wade at LSU. 
who are clearly on wiretaps talking about this. And but other coaches were on wiretaps too. But why why do you think that the federal government kept, you know, like um kept saying no to the subpoenas for the wiretaps in the trials? Why like why do you think that that the government wanted this hush kibosh so badly? That's the biggest question of this entire thing for me. When when we started digging in and we got all of the, the evidence that was collected and that was presented in discovery um, publicly in these trials that we could break it down and listen to all of that and look at it, it was very, very clear putting everything together was like, wait a second, what this changed, right? The, the, the trajectory of this entire investigation from the very beginning was taking down major D1 coaches, potential Hall of Fame coaches. That was the whole point. That's why they spent three years and millions of dollars of taxpayers' money to do this. They were going to take down huge name coaches. And then not only did they not do that, but at a certain point in the investigation, they do a 180. And they go away from their intended objective of taking them down to protecting them, ultimately. So we knew that there was wiretaps of multiple coaches and there's three that we put into the dock that are uh, from my understanding is they're technically under seal they've never been played in in a courtroom publicly they've never been played anywhere publicly that i as far as i know Uh, and we had multiple sources that gave us those i've been told there's a lot more with with those coaches and with other coaches i i haven't been able to corroborate the number and exactly what is being said on them But the reason that I wanted those calls in there was not to necessarily be salacious regarding those coaches, but it was to show they had evidence, and I think objectively strong evidence, against these coaches. And not only did they not charge them, but they protected them. They they denied uh, those being played publicly. They blocked subpoenas to get these coaches to come into the courtroom and testify. And I mean, what was going to happen if they walked in and testified? It wasn't going to be Christian Dawkins' attorneys trying to get these coaches in trouble. It was going to, they were going to ask him, hey, did Christian Dawkins ever bribe you? Right? Like that was going to be the whole point. But the fact that they wouldn't even let them step foot in the courtroom after three years of trying to put them in the courtroom and put them in jail um, didn't make any sense to me. And I still don't know why that was the case. But that became the biggest, most intriguing question, I think, in this entire thing. Well, was that, why why did this change? That was a decree from yeah. from from on high, and yeah. I, I, I wonder though, I wonder though like how much that this name, image, and likeness because because this the what, what Christian Dawkins was doing, paying the uh, players or using his influence to help them go to certain schools, then sign them later with the agent Andy Miller and you know other sit, situations. I just found it. I just looked at the tie-in with the name, image, and likeness legis- legislation, which that would clearly fall mm-hmm. fall under. And I'm just wondering, what do you think about the name, image, likeness legislation as it relates to these trials where the um, where the subpoenas for the coaches weren't allowed? Like, do you think that any of this is tied in behind the scenes? I don't know if it is. I, don't, I mean, somebody stopped it. There's no two ways about that. Somebody stopped it and, and completely shifted the, the direction of the investigation and the, the direction of the prosecution, clearly, very, very clearly. 
And that was, again, like that is the point that we, that is why we put those calls in there is to show, look, they have evidence. They, they have lots of wiretaps of Christian Dawkins talking specifically about money and, and paying players. And, and so the, it, it was so strange to me that that changed. And then magically the calls are placed under seal the NCAA supposedly is not allowed to get them, even though I, I don't believe for a second they actually yeah, right. wanted to hear any of that. And they, yeah. and they certainly don't want it to come out. But clearly somebody, and Christian says in the doc, it's a cover-up. And I, it's hard to argue that point because you just don't know what happened. And people are preventing that information from getting out. And they're preventing that question from really being answered in, in any sort of detailed way. Um, so I, I just don't know why they did it. But I think that that question... Um, probably looms largest over this entire thing. There's plenty of other questions that come up in, yeah. you know, after, after you get the context and you can see exactly what happened and how this unfolded. I think it, we answer a lot of questions in the doc, but I think at the end of it, we, we probably ask uh, a couple of really big questions that we just can't answer. Yes. And so I have two questions about that, which is two of the questions that I were left with, which was a point that you guys made in the doc was that, uh, where Jim Gatto and Merrill Code from Adidas both got uh, prison. Uh, they they both were charged and convicted, but mm-hmm. I just thought. And then Adidas is a is in bed with uh, L- Louisville, and so are these yeah. other schools that have these huge contracts. And like, and that's where I always say, who do you work for? Because right, does does LeBron James work for the NBA or does he work for Nike? Right. He works for Nike. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and so there was one name that was not brought up in the documentary that I wondered why or why not, which is Nike. The name Nike as yeah. it related to of this, because I know that in, the, I believe, the second trial, that there was some talk about it. Then you have Michael Avenatti, the lawyer trying to extort Nike. Like, what happened with Nike? Why was it necessarily excluded from it, even uh, uh, excluded from the documentary as much as Adidas was? Or is it just because Jim Gatto and, and Code got uh, prison sentences? It was because there was more evidence that was di- directly connected to Christian in those cases that we could access with Adidas. Um, the Nike thing was, it was brought up, I think, in the second trial, just in relation to Zion Williamson and some alleged offers that, that were made uh, for his family. But um, there wasn't much that came up in these first two trials regarding Nike with Christian. Now, the Avenatti thing the, the, the crazy irony of this is, right, like they go after Jim Gatto, they sentence him to nine months in prison for, for basically giving a kid a scholarship so that he goes to a school that Adidas is already sponsoring. Uh, uh, in any other situation, that's a great deal for everybody. But in this particular situation, the federal government thought that was a felony. Um, but in the Avenatti case, Nike, they, they pretty much openly admit to all of the same things that the Southern District just went after Adidas for. So there's clearly in my mind, like there's selective prosecution across the board in this thing. And I mean, uh, whether it's Nike and and Adidas and and one being charged and they're not being charged, or if it's look at the way that the coaches are treated and protected, right? You have Will Wade and Sean Miller, who, who uh, uh, the Southern district fights to prevent them from stepping foot into the courtroom and blocks those coach, those uh, calls from coming out publicly. 
yet they destroy Christian Dawkins publicly, right? There's clearly a difference in treatment between somebody like Christian Dawkins and Sean Miller and Will Wade. You can point to race, you can point to resources, you can point to power, whatever it is. You cannot tell me with a straight face that those guys are being treated equally no. uh, in the eyes of the criminal justice system. No, I, I looked at this and as a person who's around sports and has a son who's an eighth grader, know a lot of the top kids around because my, my son goes to Sierra Canyon. And okay. so, and you know, who's, who's up there. And so right, I, right. and being around the college, I'm sorry, the recruiting game for uh, football, basketball, baseball, being around it, I can tell you for sure that nothing has changed, that nothing has right. changed, that this right. child didn't stop anything. It didn't change it. I, I just hope that the name image likeness stuff comes, uh, comes up by, uh, well, it, that it comes through correctly and that the states don't let this just pass. But, the, but, uh, but Pat, I want to thank you for your time today, but I do have one more question. And it, it's about yeah. Christian Dawkins. And I looked at it, and this dude has done a lot. And I looked, he's 25. Yeah. He's 25 years yeah. old. He looks like the Doogie Hauser of sports. <laughs> <laughs> he was getting That's a good way of putting it. He was getting coaches to pay him 600 bucks, I think, when he was 12 years old. Like, this kid is a savant. And, he is. And, like, I'm like, he's not a criminal ma mastermind. He's Bill Gates. Like, he has that type of potential. The, that's what I thought. What was your take on him personally, his intelligence, and his future, whether it's in music, signing the deal with Atlantic Records and all of that? Christian is a, he is a one of a kind uh, character, a very, very unique individual, a very, very intelligent individual. Um, he is very, very mature for his age. He is unbelievably funny, self-deprecating. Um, but, but I think, you know, one of the, the best qualities I think of Christian and, and looking at him within this context of, of the sports world and the recruiting and agent world and all of that where greed is always there and normally people are stepping on other people's heads to get ahead themselves. We never found any evidence of Christian doing that. In fact, it was always him making a move or making a deal that benefited everybody. So everybody could win. And there was something admirable, I think within the, again, the world of, of sports um, that he was doing that over time and time again. And you can hear them here, like, you know, my investors, they, they want to pay you here. I'm just trying to get some money in your pocket. You've helped me out. I'm going to help you out. You know, it was a very uh, uh, interesting to, to learn that about him. Uh, and especially at such a young age, the, the connections that he had, had forged, the relationships that he had. He's a very, very impressive individual. And I think he's, uh, he's going to be wildly successful in his, in his life. I think the, the question that people would have is how in the hell was he able to forge these re relationships that people pay millions and millions of dollars to get? Like, how was he able to like uh, you, you saw in the documentary, Fred Van Fleet talk about how much he trusts him, like guys that I've asked about. They like this dude still. They don't believe he's a crook. They don't believe he's a criminal. They think he's a good guy like they would trust him to manage them now but it's but he's persona non grata in the basketball world it's funny you bring up fred van lee like for, so fred fred has his own like clothing line and his slogan is bet on yourself he got that from christian 
the night of the draft, Christian was saying, hey, there's some offers, but they want you to go to the D League. I don't think you should do it. I think you should wait. We can do this. Bet on yourself. And, like, that stuck with him to the point that that's become his own mantra, that a 22-year-old kid said to him on the phone who was acting as his agent, even though the 22-year-old kid had never taken a license and never passed the exam, to become an agent, he's the one doing all of these deals at 22. Dude, he's, and, he's like and, the lawyer in suits. <laughs> he's, he's really impressive. But I think, I think what, what helps him be so successful, to your point, is that he, he understands how to read people and he figures out a way very quickly that to, uh, so that they can benefit while he benefits as well, so that everybody wins. And that's a, that's a pretty important commodity to have in business. Yeah, and he's involved in in music now. Do you? I I feel like he belongs in sports. Do you think that there's any path for him to get back into the sports world? And if so, when and how? If there is a path, Christian will find it. <laughs> if there's if there's a way to make something happen, he will find that way. No doubt about it. Did did you guys suffer any? lawsuits and like people trying to like what what were some of the obstacles they were trying to stop you i should say not yet i mean the big the biggest thing that we had was just nobody would talk you know that's why we only have i don't know there's six or seven people i think interviewed total in the doc which is probably the smallest number of subjects that i've ever interviewed for something like this um nobody would talk um you know, there's lots of different reasons for that, but that was, that was surprising. I mean, it's always difficult to get people to sit down in front of a camera and give their perspective and their side of a story, especially something like this, that was, you know, kind of a traumatic experience for so many people, but oh, it yeah. was very, very difficult to get people to talk. Yeah. Well, well, because when you, when you do talk, you essentially exile yourself if you are snitching on other people. Like I remember, exactly. Uh, a number of years ago when they were talking about college, uh, they were talking about college athletes being paid, particularly in football. Uh, I think somebody called me. It might, it might've been a HBO real sports story or something. They called me and they asked me about Oregon. They were like, George, he knows where the bodies are buried, this and that. Right. He may have been a part of this because there were some things that happened at school that probably lend, lended itself to that prop possibly being, being yeah. true. And, I was just like, you got the wrong guy. I was like, if you're, <laughs> if, if you're expecting to call me, who still goes up to Oregon, gets, gets favors, is treated very well, got put in the Hall of Fame, like if you, and is doing well, if you think that I'm the guy to talk to, you have found, and, and who will take down the Oregon program, who, which I love right. with, with every ounce of my being, no, no, sorry. You, you, you might as well never call me again about this because I will not be that guy. So I know nothing. Yeah, I mean, I actually, and 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 yeah. that were if and that were if I did know anything, which I don't. Yeah, there was a lot of that. I mean, there was a there was a lot of the same stuff, and I and I get that. You know, we didn't want to. Our point too in this, we didn't want to be trying to take down as many people as we could either. You know, because I, I personally, I think the players should be getting getting paid they should be able to make money off their their image and likeness and you know test out the the free market with that um so we didn't want to we didn't want to even the coaches i'm like you know i don't really have a problem with what they did my problem is that there's actually evidence that was collected in this case and then it was it was basically brushed under the rug and yeah. i i think that's wildly unfair
yep, there is a free market right. for for ventilators right right now, but there's not a free market for college, <laughs> for college basketball players. Get out of here, dude. Uh, Pat, exactly. Pat, thanks again. I I appreciate it. I look forward to all the stuff that you that you do and put out, and we'll be following you. And super excited about this. Thank you so much, George. It was a pleasure talking to you. Have all a right. good one. Okay, you too. Goodbye. Take care. Bye-bye. Man, Pat offered so much insight on this whole, on Christian Dawkins, on the uh, FBI probe, on the scandal. And I just thought it was, I thought he did a masterful job of telling the story. Telling the story of Christian Dawkins, who is clearly a genius whiz kid. He's 25 years old. He's been in draft rooms. He's been in everybody's home. Everybody's in his Rolodex. They may have his number blocked at this point in time, knowing that the FBI may be on him. But this dude has was able to, at 12 years old, have college coaches paying him $600 for his recruiting services. He knows recruiting. He knows relationships. Relationships are probably the most valuable thing that you have in life. Like people, it's like that saying that says people don't remember what you did. They don't remember what you said, but they will remember how they made you feel. So if they feel that they can trust you, if they feel that they that you won't screw them over, that you have everybody's best interest at heart. And yeah, you can make some bucks in the process. They will go with you. And that's why Christian was able to build such forge, really such strong bonds and relationships with college well, with high school students and their families, because a lot of these kids come from disadvantageous situations and socioeconomically depressed um, environments. So, yes, sometimes the parents are looking for some money or a way out. The kids want to be able to provide that. So why on earth is this the is this a crime? Because it's a victimless crime. And there are so many people who are just staunchly against paying college basketball players or football players or college athletes in general. They say, oh, well, you get a free education. No, it's not free. You have to sacrifice, work hard for it. You make everybody else money around you. It's not free. You work for it. You work while you're at school, late nights, injuries, uh, early mornings, sacrifice. You work for it. You just don't get a paycheck for it. Well, well, they get a chance to go to the NFL, NBA. Well, only 1% of all college uh, players get a chance to go pro. And sometimes in sports, there is no pro. Yeah, but you get an education. Yeah, it is a big deal not having student loans. But here's the thing that I want you guys to, to talk about. I mean, think, think about Pat kind of alluded to it, like the cost of a scholarship. There's cost and there's value. The value of a scholarship is significantly higher than what it costs the school to send a kid through the program. That's totally different. Um, I love that he talked about Christian Dawkins and his character because he didn't tell on anybody. He just was on wiretap so he could reiterate those things. He wouldn't snitch on Rick Pitino, even though it, it all evidence points to the fact that Rick Pitino probably knew. He didn't tell on all the dozens of other college coaches he had in his, his Rolodex. He was trying to find a way for everybody to win. And I looked at this like the, that this was complete entrapment by the FBI. 
They look like crooks trying to drum up a charge, trying to drum up a huge case where there wasn't one. The college coaches typically aren't in on paying the players. They may know that this sort of thing happens, but they're not writing checks themselves. I mean, it was just crazy that this dude thought that, like, they just clearly had no idea. But the fact that all this was swept under the rug, that's what you need to point to. That is where the smoking gun is. But do I even want it uncovered? Nope, because that would destroy college sports. So what you have to do is you can get yourself out of the situation because, you know, reporters and people are not going to start stop digging. You get out of it by the name, image and likeness legislation. Instead of trying to keep this idea of amateurism alive, you keep the idea of your sports alive and that them being different. Yes, people should be able to make money when everybody else is making money off of them. This is the way it works. This is the real world. Um, and the I thought that the real crook here was Marty Blazer. Didn't have a clue what was going on in college basketball, made up a story, tried to get people in trap. He should be the person doing 10 years in jail, 12 years in jail for stealing NFL and NBA players money for a damn movie. You damn crook. Um, but then you get a kid like Brian Bowen took money. They got him on tape. Because Adidas didn't pay on time at Louisville. So guess what? He had to broker it through the FBI agent. Hmm. Now the kid's ineligible. Yes, he's with the Indiana Pacers on a two-year, two-way contract. But he could have been a one-and-done or he could have stayed in school. You just don't know. So many different options. Um, Sean Miller and Will Wade. They got up there and adamantly defended themselves. Huh. They knew something. They knew something. Uh, you guys, make sure that you guys watch the documentary on Tuesday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern time. It's a it's a fantastic watch. If you're a college basketball fan or a sports fan, this is for you. Thank you guys for listening to the George Reister podcast. Appreciate your time, energy. Make sure if you guys want to send an email, questions, comments, anything, send it to gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com. Make sure to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure that you share it. Peace out.